Well, good morning. I hope all of you are doing well this morning. Had a couple of beautiful days. It's getting hot, <laughs> and uh, it's getting to be almost summertime. So, uh, but anyway, it's it's good that uh, that the Lord gives us what He gives us, and we're just so thankful. Thankful that you're here today with us, and uh, today is just going to be kind of a special little time. As you can see, we're going to be uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper a little bit later on. Uh, a lot of times we call it communion, and uh, just uh, that word commune, uh, what, is it, what does it really mean? And I mean? We're going to do a little song here called To Commune With You, Lord, because that's the reason why we're here. We're commune, the verb part portion of that word commune. Uh, of course, we get communication. Uh, we get communion. Uh, the noun part is the commune, <laughs> but we're talking about the verb to commune. And, and uh, I was kind of looking that word up. Said, when he talks about it, of course, it's talking about a communication. And it's also it's interesting that it, uh, it deals with an intensity in that communication. And so when we talk about our communing with God, it's the fact that, you know, he's communicating with us. How does he communicate with us? He does it through his word. It, it, he does it with one another, with our fellowship with one another. And, and, and in turn, we, uh, we respond to that communication that he gives us. And that's the reason why we're here. And that causes us to respond in worship and adoration to our Lord. And so I'm hopefully, this is kind of a, a slow start to our, to our service this morning, but just think about our uh, reason for being here, to commune with the Creator God. Let's sing this together. Uh, some of, most of you, a lot of you know this song. We haven't done it in a while, but if you don't, just kind of follow through. It's uh, Follow us, and uh, it's not that hard. what my heart desires to commune with you is when my spirit breathes when I'm in the presence of your holiness to commune with you is all what my heart desires to come. 
commune with you is when my spirit breathes when I'm in the presence of your holiness to commune with you is all I Fellowshipping with the Lord is what we need. That's what we need. You know, in that little line there, it says, it's all I need. Well, it's, I know this, it's what we need. We need that fellowship with the Lord. And um, this morning, we're not only going to have fellowship with the Lord, but we're going to have fellowship with one another as we take the Lord's Supper together. You know, what a beautiful picture that is to be able to fellowship with one another around the Lord's table. I don't know how much you've thought about that, but it's such a privilege to be able to do that. It's reserved for those who belong to Christ. So I look forward to, to doing that uh, in just a little while. I wanted to share a little bit about my week in Louisiana. Ron said it was hot here the last couple of days. It was torture down in southwest Louisiana. The temperatures were anywhere from 98, a cool 98, to about 105 with about 90% humidity. And uh, couple that with... Um, you know, there's, there are creatures down there that you have never seen before in your life. Um, but it was a wonderful time. My, my, uh, myself, my wife, Teresa, and then uh, our three granddaughters went with us. Lord help us. He sure did help us through the week. We had uh, a little house all to ourselves. And um, 
we have one little room and a king-size bed and then the little couch that pulled out. So you figure it out with myself and Teresa and three girls that we were communing together. And uh, we had a really, really good time. Um, I was able to uh, speak to the youth that were there at uh, Camp Pearl. Uh, there was almost right exactly 100 students, high school students. We had kids come to know Christ, and we praised the Lord for that. And we had kids that came up and wanted to um, give their life in terms of serving Him. Uh, it was just it was a fantastic week. Um, I don't give invitations a lot, and um, but the Spirit just led me to give two or three of them during the week. And each time that we had one, there were responses by the students. I'll never forget the first young man. It was on Tuesday night. He walked down the aisle. And, you know, it's one thing when you're an adult to walk down an aisle. But when, you, when you're with your peer group, that's a much different thing for teenagers. He walks down the aisle, and I mean, he is glaring at me. I'm like, oh, man, is he mad at me about something? He's glaring at me, and he walks down. <laughs> we didn't plan that either. We sure didn't plan that. Anyway, so he walks down the aisle, and he, he's just making a beeline for me. He puts his hand out, and he says, Brother Thad, I want to live for the Lord. And it just, just really touched me. Several of these students had that desire, I want to live for the Lord. And um, it really encouraged me. You know, the Lord has given me just a, multiple blessings and being able to speak with the youth. And whether it was two weeks ago with our students or this last week at Camp Pearl, you know, a lot of times I think we get down on our culture and down on what's happening and we're kind of gloom and doom. And I admit I've been like that at times. There are young people that have come to Christ, and there are young people that want to live for Him. And we have that in our own church, and I'm just so thankful. I know several students this summer have been at, at uh, Camp Ponderosa serving the Lord in that capacity, so there's just a lot to be thankful for. And um, so I was able to be with those students for uh, two weeks ago, and then this past week in Louisiana. Um, it was just a fantastic week, and I just really, really appreciate um, the opportunity to go down Actually, uh, the camp director was my junior choir director when I was uh, a little guy. And I actually sang in a junior choir. And yeah, yeah, I did. And I actually remember having to do a duet one time with another girl. And I'm like, oh boy. Anyway, that was a long time ago. And then he came back and he was my pastor when I was a junior in high school he started pastoring Lake Charles Bible Church and then I left to come to Southeastern Bible College in 1982 he continued to pastor he did two stints he did one stint at uh, Lake Charles Bible Church took a year or so sabbatical and then they called him back and he came back for another 10 years and he's been directing Camp Pearl for a long time uh, Don Barrett he's a wonderful man of God and his wife Angie and so it's just a fantastic week and I just want to thank you guys for praying I know many of you that were praying for that, and to see the salvation of young people, and to see these young people giving their, their lives to, to want to serve the Lord was really encouraging. There are 13 churches down in Louisiana that are part of this kind of a conference together. They're all Bible churches, and um, there really is a huge need in those churches for youth pastors, student pastors. We have that same need here at Grace.
And um, a lot of them have kind of run into brick walls. And so we need prayer that the Lord will send us that person here. There's a lot of those students. When I was talking with those students, I told Teresa the number one need that I saw for those students that knew the Lord was discipleship. They need to be discipled. And the great part about it is they want to be. So I'm like, man, who can we get to disciple these students? Because there's a great, great opportunity. So I would just ask you to pray for those, um, those students and, that were saved, the ones that want to live for the Lord. And uh, just pray for our own students. I, I was really, really encouraged the last two weeks. I just want to publicly thank the Lord. It was such a blessing. Also, this, this past week, I had an opportunity to reconnect with the first person I ever shared the gospel with. And that was back in 1971, so when I got saved. But he was a neighbor of mine, and uh, his name was Greg. And I told Teresa on the way down, I said, I want to reconnect with Greg. And um, so I looked him up. And I found him. And I was able to go to where he worked. And uh, was able to sit down in conversation with him. And we talked about the Lord. And we talked about our families. 41 years it's been since I've seen him. And um, the Lord just put on my heart, hey, go reconnect with him. And go talk with him. And and so it was just a tremendous time. And and we exchanged phone numbers. He texted me and... And just was really appreciative of that. I can't believe you would take the time to look me up after 41 years. And I just have such a heart. I told Greg, I said, if I had 10 minutes in front of my class I graduated with in 1982, I said, all I'd want to do is, is, is share the gospel uh, with them and let them know how much the Lord's done in my life. So anyway, um, it was just a tremendous week, and I really, really appreciate you guys uh, praying for me during that time. Um, I want to begin our, our time together praying again, and I want to just give you an opportunity right where you are just to, to uh, pray with the Lord and just to talk with Him, and um, I'm going to do that as well, and um, I feel like I'm staticky. I'm going to do that as well, and um, I want us to just really spend time praying for um, our church, praying for these young people that I mentioned to you. Um, praying for our church leadership, uh, praying for um, just our time together around the Lord's table. Um, Remember, it's very important, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, but it's very important that we come to the table right before the Lord, you know, being right with Him. And um, just if you're visiting with us today, uh, we have an open communion here. It's for believers. It's for those who belong to the Lord. You do not have to be a member of grace to partake of the Lord's table. Uh, you need to know the Lord as your Savior. <laughs> a member of the body of Christ you need to be. And walking in right relationship with Him is very, very important. But this morning I want us to just take just a couple of minutes and um, just bow together and let's, let's pray. And then um, I will uh, have prayer and we'll begin our, our message this morning. All right?
Well, Father, we want to thank you this morning that um, we can pause and we can celebrate um, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning as we consider just a couple of things together that you would help us by your spirit to understand these things better. That we might please you in our time of worship together today. We want to fellowship with you and we want that to be pleasing to you. And so I pray that you would just uh, give us uh, this morning uh, just a good time together as we consider um, and celebrate uh, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just ask that your spirit would guide us and would lead us. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11. And I want to just give you two or three um, introductory thoughts about this section of Scripture. Um, as you come to chapter 11, the Apostle Paul deals with this agape feast that was going on. That, uh, at the church there in Corinth. And the Agape Feast was a time, it was a celebratory time where believers would come together to celebrate the Lord Jesus and to fellowship together. Okay, so it was a huge time of celebrating Christ, but it was also a time where they came together to fellowship with one another. And as we've talked about, there is fellowship with the Lord but there's also fellowship with one another. I think about uh, the times of fellowship that I had when I was young. There were many more opportunities, it seemed like, when I was a young believer, young in the faith, um, to, to fellowship together. It, it doesn't seem as there's enough opportunity today for fellowship. I enjoy when we're together. I miss you when I don't see you. Um, and I think that, obviously... In that culture, in that time, in that day and age, they were closer together. They lived a lot in that really you know, closed-quarter community. And so they were around each other. Can you imagine being close to each other, next door to each other, all of us, all of us all the time? Wouldn't that be fantastic? We would get to know each other really, really well. Well, that, that was the culture of that day. Now, you know, many of us drive 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour to come to one place and so we really have to put forth some effort just to deal with this issue of fellowship. Well, they were coming together to celebrate the Lord, but the Bible tells us there was a problem, a couple of them. One is they were coming to the Sagape feast, and some of them were getting drunk. Um, they weren't there, obviously, but for themselves. And then some were coming, but they were not sharing together. Some had more than others, and there was not an abundance of sharing going on. And so, in this first section, beginning in verse 17, um, <laughs> Paul kind of rakes them over the coals. Listen to the language. It's pretty strong. Look what it says, chapter 11, verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. By the way, that can happen in a church can happen. I think it's a warning to us that when we come together, we do so with the mindset of agape love. That's the idea of the love feast. 
And remember, as we talked about before, that agape love is a volitional decision that we make that we would have sacrificial love and unconditional love. That was not going on here uh, as a whole in Corinth. It says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And Paul says, in part, I believe it. That's pretty strong. The Lord does not want, I mean, excuse me, the, the enemy does not want the church to be unified. He wants the church to be separated. And so this was a time when the church would come together to be together, to be unified. And the Bible tells us here there were divisions that existed in the church in Corinth. He says, verse 19, For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, look what he says, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. So these, these guys had real issues when it came to this agape feast. There was not sharing going on, and there was drunkenness. Verse 22, Paul says, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? In other words, if that's what you want to do, stay home and do that. He says, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? In other words, there should be sharing going on, is what he's telling them, this church in Corinth. He says, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. All right? In other words, hey, look, there's sin in the camp. Right? There were some that were getting drunk, and there was selfishness going on among these believers. And that's who he's writing to, believers. There was drunkenness, and in this there was selfishness that was going on. Well, I want you to skip down with me to um, verse number 27. Verse 27. We'll come back to 23 through 26. But verse 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And then he tells us, and this is the verse we kind of want to focus on for just a moment, but a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let me give you just a couple of, uh, couple of introductory thoughts. One is that this church didn't have it together when it came to the agape feast. They were not doing what the Lord wanted them to do. But I want you to notice, as a result of that, verse 28, you come to the phrase, must examine. Now you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, it means what it looks like it means. There was an imperative that was given to this church. You must examine yourself. That's what he says. But then it's important that we understand the term examination. Look in verse 28. A man must examine himself. Okay? The word examine is, was a word that was used in that culture to um, te- test the authenticity or genuineness of a metal, a piece of metal. That was the idea. Is this piece of metal genuine or not? And that was the way it was used in that culture. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he says that you must examine yourself. To test the genuineness. What's going on in your fellowship with the Lord? It's obvious that in the church in Corinth, that was being interrupted at this agape feast. So 
it's important that we mention that from the beginning. Um, and notice then the examination, there's no exemptions. In other words, every single believer in Corinth was to examine themselves just like every single believer this morning is to examine themselves. So there's no exemptions. You don't come and say, well, I don't need to do that. No. Paul told this group of believers in Corinth, look, all of you must examine yourselves. You must do that. This is a requirement before celebrating what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Well, as I'm looking at this particular verse, there are three things that I want to point out to you that I think are very critical in understanding. Okay, just looking at this one verse. So he says, a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The first thing you see in verse 28 is a pause. You say, Thad, where is the pause? The word but is the pause. Right? It's the pause in the text. Paul wants them to consider something. What did Paul want them to consider? The way they were behaving. Right? In light of what they were going to do there, Paul wanted them to consider what they had been doing. It was a useful pause um, because Paul wanted them to look back. He wanted them to see the direction that they were going versus the direction that they should have been going. Right? And that's why he tells them to examine themselves. So right from the very beginning, that little word, but, is a pause word. And so Paul puts that there for them to consider what was going on in their midst. You ever um, stop to consider two things? What's going on in the church of God today as a whole? I'm not just talking about grace. What's going on in the church today as a whole? How does the church worldwide, the church of the Lord Jesus, how does it look to you? How does it look to you? Does it look unified? Or does it look very separated? Well, I think that there's both. I think there's some unity. But I also think there's a lot of separation in the church. You know, it doesn't take the enemy but just a little crack in the door to set up camp in a church. So what's going on universally? Well, I can tell you that when you look at the church universally, it's hard for people to decide together on the, a clear definition of the gospel. You get pastors and teachers and leaders together, and you're going to have a different viewpoint at times. It's hard when you look at, you look at leadership and how leadership in the church is being, um, I believe, kind of given a fist in the gut, so to speak. You know, who's to be leading the church of God? Is the Bible clear about that? The Bible is clear about that. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. There are elders, shepherds, there are deacons, servants that lead the church of God. That's what the Bible says. And ultimately, the chief shepherd is the Lord Jesus. So you look at the issue of salvation, the issue of leadership, the issue of priority in the church. 
what is the priority of the church? Could you think you, if you got three churches together, let's just get three churches on Deerfoot Parkway together, and we're going to all meet together, and we're going to come up with what is the purpose of the church? Think we could do that? Probably be pretty difficult to do, right? It would be. Um, because people have presuppositions as to what the purpose of the church is. And so they're going to come with their presuppositions. They're going to come to the table with, well, this is what my pastor said. This is what teacher so-and-so said. Well, if you look in the Bible, the purpose of the church gathering together is given to us in Ephesians, I believe. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, where it tells us that the church is to glorify the Lord. That is the purpose of the church coming together. Now, under that heading of glorifying the Lord... Well, there are a lot of different things that glorify the Lord. And one of those things that glorifies the Lord is when we share Christ. Because some people are going to say, well, the purpose of the church is to evangelize. Well, it's one of the things that happens is we want to glorify the Lord. But it's not solely the purpose. So you see, if you got in a conversation and begin to talk about the purpose of the church, you could be here for five or six days and still not have agreement on that. So there are a lot of things. When I look at the worldwide church, there's a lot of kind of disunity in different points. But then when you come to grace, that's who we are. When was the last time you read the doctrinal statement or covenant as a member? The things that you agreed to. We're going to go over those things in the next few weeks. What did you agree to? Would you still sign that paper? <laughs> right? Maybe you signed it 40 years ago. Would you still sign that paper? Is it something to consider? Absolutely, because we're accountable to one another. So, you know, sometimes that little word, but, can lead you a lot of different directions. Well, Paul wanted them to consider what they were doing and versus what they should have been doing. Well, the next thing I see in the verse is not only a pause, but I see the personal nature of this examination. Notice what it says in verse 28. But a man must examine his neighbor... Or a man must be examined by his pastor. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. Guys, this verse alone eliminates some of the confusion out in the world today. You have people that are going to priests hoping that sin is absolved. I'm sorry. I don't see that in my Bible. And this is a pretty personal thing, don't you think? When you look at it, I mean, Paul doesn't mince his words. He says a man must examine himself, not be examined by or examine my next door neighbor. Well, hey, look, it's a lot easier to examine the person next to me than it is to examine myself. What's interesting, if you go back to the, um, you don't have to turn there, but if you go back to the Old Testament, one of the passages of Scripture that speaks about this examination and how that is to look. It's interesting the way that the psalmist put it in Psalm 139 as David puts this. Listen to these words. You know them. Most of you probably know these words. But David says in his own life, Search me, O God. So what's he doing? He's saying, Lord, I need you to search me. Know my heart. Try me 
and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Search me, O oh God. That should be, I think, as we come to a time like this, the attitude of the believer in the New Testament. That we come and we say to the Lord, Lord, examine my life. Right? Examine my life. By your Spirit, help me to be honest about where I am in my fellowship with you. So no pastor or priest is involved in this, and it's not for the purpose of examining your neighbor, but it is for the purpose of examining yourself, right? By the way, just, just as a practical point here, examination of ourselves comes as we understand the will of God. You say, that? are you talking about the will of God for my life? I am. A lot of people, when they talk about the will of God, they're thinking, what does the Lord want me to do, be a plumber or electrician or a doctor or lawyer? No, um, God's will is pretty laid out in black and white for us. He tells us how to walk. He tells us how to live. He tells us the things that we should do, the things that we shouldn't do. It's very personal, isn't it? I mean, when you come to the text, like if you take Pauline literature, a lot of Pauline literature you have Paul setting the foundation for this is who you are in Christ. These are all the blessings you have in Christ. This is the gospel of Christ. These are the things that you have because you know Christ. Now you need to live for Christ. And it's in that living for Christ sections of Paul's literature and even in Peter's that you come to and you go, whoa, this is hard stuff. Well, it's impossible without the Spirit of God. And so we must, as believers, take the opportunity to examine the things we know God wants for our lives. And that's very, very, very personal. So I encourage you this morning as we come to the table that you would examine yourself as an individual and see where you are in your fellowship with the Lord. And then thirdly, I see that not only the pause button here in verse 28 and the personal button, if you will, but I see there's purpose. There's a reason that we are to examine ourselves. He says in verse 28, But a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So the purpose is so that we can celebrate the Lord Jesus. You know, this is a time of celebrating because, listen, it's very important. There's only one person that could satisfy the wrath of God, and that was Christ. So as we come to the table... We think about what the Lord Jesus did for us. This week as I was in chapel one day teaching the students, the Lord, you know, as I'm teaching, sometimes the Lord will remind me of things. And so I, I finished teaching, and, and he was reminding me as, as I was teaching about all the things that he was willing to endure for me. And I don't know if you've thought about just kind of how all that went, but like when you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, right? We often think about it, what's well, just the cross, and we understand what was accomplished at the cross, but, but his suffering, his pain started before that. And so you think about all the way back to the Garden of Gethsemane. You even think further back than that when he is prophesying his own death and resurrection. Okay? So you go back to those things and you come to the point where the Lord Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he's sweating what? Drops of blood. 
Well, that's for me. That's for you. And then you come to the point where he was flogged. You ever looked up that um, flogging that the Romans were a part of? And depends on what book you're reading, but I was reading about flogging. I guess it was about a year or so ago. And they would take a leather whip, and on it they would bind pieces of metal. But I didn't know this next part when I was reading. I was like, I didn't know that. And probably just because I'd never read it before. But one of the things they would bind to the whip was lamb's teeth. Lamb's teeth. And I thought about that. I was like, man, Lord, let's see. When John the Baptist introduced you, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And on that, le on that leather whip would be lamb's teeth. I just thought that was kind of ironic. So he's flogged, and they would literally strip flesh away right down right to the bone and uh, expose right the flesh. Um, and then he carried a cross beam that didn't weigh 10 pounds. It weighed about 100 pounds from what I've read. He carried that. And then, that's not to speak of what we know went on, which is focused on a lot, which is the nails in his hands and his feet, the crown of thorns, and it wasn't to honor him, but it was to mock him. The crown of thorns on his brow, and then um, the sword in his side. All of that for you and me. And then the part of it to me that probably was the most impactful was his separation from his father for three hours. And I think, that had never happened before. And he did all that for Thad Blunt. How? Why? Who can explain the love of God? Isn't it really in some ways past finding out? And the love of God was as we read, right? We read Romans and we, we, we memorize the verse. But here it is. God demonstrated his love toward us. And he's right to believers. And that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to get together with Greg was because when I shared the gospel with Greg, Greg got saved. He was seven years old. I'll never forget the night I got saved. Phil Newsom shared the gospel with me. I had heard it before, but I was convicted of my sin. And I believed. I trusted in Jesus Christ for my salvation. And the first thing that came to my mind as I heard the gospel presentation about my sin and heaven and hell, when I got saved, the first thing I thought about, I got to go down the street and tell Greg he's a sinner. And so I did. I, I went down the street. I knocked on his door. And I said, Mr. Davi, is Greg home? He's home. I said, can I see him? I said, hey, Greg, you're a sinner. And you need Christ, and I got some good news for you. Jesus Christ died for your sin. And so part of what I wanted to do this last week was just see the man now, the man now that was the boy that I had an opportunity to share with.
Guys, if these last two weeks have taught me anything, it's reminded me that we can never share the gospel enough. You know, we share it with those that belong to Christ to remind them of the blessings of being in Christ. And we share it with those who don't know Christ because we want them to know Christ. And so my prayer is that this morning as we come to the table, we'll pause to consider, hey, where am I in my fellowship with the Lord? But we'll also consider the personal nature and then the purpose why we come to the table. And so I want you to just bow your heads and let's have a word of prayer. And um, Ron, I believe, is going to come back up with a choir. We're going to sing a couple of songs and then we'll have um, the Lord's Supper together. So you just bow and let me pray. Father, thank you for the clear instruction that you give us in your word on the privilege that we have to remember To remember what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. I pray that we would come to understand the importance, the significance of celebrating together. That Jesus Christ accomplished what no one else could. The satisfaction of the wrath of God. And as we consider coming to your table today, I pray there would be just that personal time of examination. That every one of us would consider where we are in our fellowship with you. And that we would confess if there's sin. And you tell us in the word that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. To cleanse us from unrighteousness. So I pray that you would help us as we take that personal time and then as we come back in just a few moments that we're able to celebrate together and consider together and remember together all that Christ was willing to do for us. And so we just commit this next few moments to you and may the name of the Lord Jesus be praised. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. In Christ, in Christ alone, is our only hope. And not only our life here, but also in death, and that's what we have. We have our life, and then we have eternity. Those are the two things we have, and he is our only hope in that. Let's all stand. Let's sing Christ our hope in life and death. is our hope in life and death, Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence, that our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand, what comes apart from His command, and what
Aren't we thankful for that salvation power of our Lord? Um, you know, I, I know I shared that story with you about Greg. I just rejoice so much we were able to have that time and just to be able to talk about those days and, and to um, know that he belongs to the Lord. And uh, even after 41 years, I told him, I said, hey, you know, we likely won't see each other again on this side of heaven, but one day we'll see each other again. And so I hope that you um, have that assurance that you belong to Christ. And, you know, that assurance comes through Christ and his spirit that uh, has sealed us, the Bible says in Ephesians, until the day of redemption. Aren't you glad that our eternal security does not depend on what we do? It is all about the Lord Jesus. So I want to thank, thank the Lord for uh, so, so many things this morning. But as we come together to take um, the Lord's Supper, I'd li- like the elders and deacons who have asked to, who have been asked to, to um, help this morning, if they could come up to the table, please. All the ones that were asked. I have the sheet. I can call your name if I need to. So we skipped over the verses a few minutes ago that spoke about um, our fellowship together and what we do in coming to the table of the Lord. But Paul wrote this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And aren't we glad that he did not die in vain and that he rose again victorious over death? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming to get us one day. And until he comes, let's be faithful to share with others the great news of the gospel of Christ. So I want to give you an opportunity where you are right now just to bow and pray. And in just a moment, George Morange is going to pray uh, this morning for the bread. So in just a moment, he'll do that. Father, we thank you for your grace. Uh, It is grace that has drawn us together today. We've come together to experience the grace of your fellowship because individually we've all been brought to you through the grace of your salvation through our Savior Christ. And Father, we thank you for the chance to fellowship as a body and we ask your blessing upon the bread In the name of Christ, amen. to 
we come So we come to the table today and we remember the body of our Lord. Ask Van Cook if he'd pray for the cup this morning, man. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, the opportunity to come before you at your table and uh, have communion with you. We pray, God, that you would just uh, uh, help us to uh, <clears throat> do as Thad said and, and remember what the blood means and the blood on the cross is what cleanses us from our sins, Father, and without the remission of our sins and the cleansing by the blood, Father, we uh, just couldn't have communion with you. So we pray that you would bless this, and we just ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
So used to being wired up, we take the cup and we remember the blood of our Lord that was spilt so there could be forgiveness of sins. And there was a lot of blood that he shed. And I just think about the road that he endured all the way to the cross. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm thankful. Let's take together.
Ron, you just seated him. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Can you stand? I'd like to read some scripture before I pray and dismiss this morning. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, Peter writes, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. There's one that fits that, the blood of Christ. Let's pray out together. Father, thank you so much for the blood of Christ and all that was accomplished at the cross of Calvary. I pray if there's one here this morning that does not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, that today could be that day of salvation. I pray that your Spirit would work mightily in the hearts of people this morning. And for those of us who belong to the Lord Jesus, I pray that we could walk away today a little more appreciative of all that He was willing to do for us. And so I pray that that would be demonstrated in the way that we live and the things that we do. I pray that we would be contagious Christians. That people would want to ask us, hey, what's so different about your life? And the simple answer is Christ and Christ alone. So I just pray that you would help us by your spirit to live for you each day. I pray this morning for a couple of our members uh, Linda Tidwell, and I pray for Elaine Lett. I pray for them, Father, that you administer to them uh, as they've had surgery and just need encouragement and prayer. We want to thank you for them, and we continue to lift them up. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.